Hello listeners, Fahad Ahmed here. We spoke with Impact Investor and CBS alumna Maggie Liu one year ago, one year before COVID-19 changed everything. Our conversation didn't exactly stand the test of time, so we caught up with her again recently to learn about the new context and new potential of impact investing. Her futurism includes an interweaving of multiple financial instruments to right social wrongs. Here's Maggie Liu. Maggie Liu, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Maggie, I'm excited to speak to you about how impact investing has developed over the last year. You're a partner at Bridges Fund Management, a venture capital and private equity firm based in London that focuses on impact. Since 2020, we've seen an interwoven health and economic crisis from COVID, as well as renewed calls to address racial injustice. How has impact investing been affected by all of these increased environmental, social, economic, and racial inequalities that we've seen over the past year? I think they have really galvanized the sector further. I think that we were already going into the end of 2019, had already experienced quite a wave of interest in impact investing. I would say much more so in the in that kind of three to five year period leading up to that from the uh, demand and supply side both. And I think what these last 12 months have done is to amplify the need to really ex- accelerate that work to consider not just the financial aspects of investments and companies, after all, in terms of the performance, and what these um, kind of very, very vivid uh, reminders of the implications for all these types of inequalities, how they could have huge signif- and very significant impact on investment performance. Um, so the idea that you now really need to think about not just the financial factors that you, know, you and I will, will normally have thought about, but a lot of these non-financial aspects around environmental, social, and governance issues have a very direct and uh, meaningful impact on performance. There's this added dimension, I think, during COVID around how businesses are looking after or not these uh, issues around social and racial justice. Some brands obviously are much more impacted than, than that than others. On the environmental front, I think it might not have been as um, directly impacted but I think this is where regulations have really accelerated. Um, this is particularly, I would say, in the European Union perspective. So we have uh, a number of regulations that have been um, picking up pace in, in being implemented. The Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, which is a requirement for companies to disclose the risks that they, they see related to climate issues, that has really come to the fore. And you're seeing that drive um, actions And then in 2021, there's also going to be the sustainable finance disclosure requirement that will then put the owners on asset managers to do the same. So you can see the forces coming together, both on the company side, as well as from the investment manager side, to bring a lot more um, visibility to the the risks that climate brings. Um, But it gives you some insight into uh, the the way that regulations could head if uh, companies are not going to be proactive on these fronts, on these issues. So Maggie, with the increased demand from consumers and the increased regulations, are you seeing a transition from companies executing their mission and having part of their investment portfolio dedicated to impact to companies becoming social enterprises? And I use that word specifically where 
profit and social impact are combined, and it's no longer just something that's being done on the side. Established businesses, they might not be able to you know, achieve this overnight, and there's a question mark about how much they can pivot themselves. But certainly, they will more and more have to consider the, the negative impacts of what they're doing and how they can, um, as much as possible, minimize that. So that's kind of something that every single enterprise will need to think about. When we think about a company's financial statement, you know, its enterprise value, only about 16% of that value is reflected on its financial statement. So actually already, a lot of the embedded value in the company is not just driven by financial factors already. What we are seeing the movement towards is to say, we need to be able to recognize, account for, and then price in the other non-financial aspect and value that businesses can drive. And then the other aspect here is that you will have, uh, you know, hopefully more and more entrepreneurs who recognize that, yes, they can build a business um, that will, you know, hopefully make a lot of money and be very successful commercially. But actually, there's an opportunity to be doing that whilst tackling a challenge that we have. I think there's a recognition that uh, the private sector could be doing more to providing the solutions. You make a point there that larger companies can't necessarily pivot as quickly. And I'm wondering, what's your recommendation then for people and companies who want to be more impact-driven, but don't know how? Like, like, where do they begin, Maggie? You know, operating within a large organization has uh, a huge potential impact because probably a relatively small action within a large organization could have quite a lot of impact, right? Just probably based on scale. Absolutely. So I would not uh, underestimate the fact that uh, whilst within working within such an organization, that there should be a lot of opportunity to make a difference. There should always be opportunity from an um, uh, kind of employee perspective. That's always kind of a key ingredient that most businesses will have. The customer base, the environmental one is, is a pretty obvious one to immediately have a hopefully a pound or dollar sign impact um, from thinking about doing things more efficiently. Uh, in terms of the customer proposition as well, that, that should be a pretty uh, straightforward way to drive better value and um, hopefully improve the lives of, of the customers as well. A trend that you highlighted was around private sector really stepping up. And at the fundamental level, challenges are getting more and more pressing. And I think at the heart of it, the public sector can't be the only driver for change. The private sector needs to also play a role. So if we look at the U.S., for example, reports show that sustainable impact investing increased by 42% since 2018. Former President Trump's approach to environment and underserved populations is considered one of the reasons why investment dollars have poured into ESG investing strategies. Around the world, you know, COVID-19 has obviously highlighted shortcomings of governments as well. Has the impact investing community become more galvanized, more committed to the cause because of what we're seeing, where governments are falling short in their ability to support not only their citizens, but also the environment as well? I think generally, yes. The events of the last 12 months have prompted, I would say, some introspection to highlight the vulnerabilities of business as usual and, and how it contributes to ever-increasing inequalities. The social element of the COVID crisis 
is something that um, has just been playing out really starkly in the US, uh, but also everywhere in the world, because probably initially what was thought to be a socioeconomically blind virus is actually right. playing out not to be so, um, because, uh, you know, just a stark comparison in the experience that folks have depending on their socioeconomic background um, and race as well. Uh, I think it's just further underlined that, you know, this is no longer something that um, we can ignore. Um, and certainly government has, you know, done the best that it can to deal with it. And I can just further highlights that there must be solutions that is coming from all different angles. This is uh, playing through, I think, very, very vividly. And I think in the backdrop, I think that momentum of acting on climate change has also picked up the inaction from the U.S. in the last three to four years has, I think, probably prompted the other players right. around the world to say, look, we have to, we've got to keep going. And hopefully the, um, the direction of travel here is going to be one where the world can keep moving and then finally having this additional momentum coming from the U.S. as well um, to, to, to finally you know, head into 2021. We have COP26 happening that's being hosted in the U.K., and there's a lot of attention to uh, probably a lot of expectation as well, saying, you know, what will that COP26 achieve? And for listeners, the United Na- the COP26 is the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Yeah. For the first time, COP26 has become something that um, uh, even the uh, investment sector has taken notice because we've had a lot of these COP meetings that have just been happening in the background, but not having... Uh, got, gotten that much uh, spotlight. Um, so the Paris Agreement in 2015 was probably the last time where we felt like there was a strong momentum globally across sectors, across countries. So I think there's going to be a lot of expectation in November in 21 when we have this COP26 happening in Glasgow. Probably most people in the sector would be optimistic folks generally. But I think I genuinely think that you know we've got a good shot right, of uh, addressing these issues. And the biggest difference that I see now is that there's so much more institutional capital that is now looking to uh, also add in that dimension of impact to what it's looking to drive. So beyond, in addition to uh, risk and return. Um, And so that is something that we didn't have, right? For example, when I first started at Bridges or when Bridges was founded almost 20 years ago, we didn't have investors who are seeking out impactful products, which is now the case. Um, So this is not, of course, just about bridges, but you've got now a plethora of uh, uh, existing managers who are introducing impact products, but also new entrants that are about um, focusing on delivering impactful investment products. So that's extremely positive. The one caution that I have is to recognize that there's a nuance here, that not all of the world's societal challenges can be solved through investment capital, at least not in the way of, you know, expecting the same level of financial return and risk. I think it will go a lot of the way if a lot of the capital starts to ask questions about how it's being invested. Because don't forget that the vast majority of the capital that's circulating through our system is still going into harmful sectors. If we can even just get that portion of the the investment universe to pay more attention to the negative impacts so that they can do something about minimizing that, that will go a huge way to basically not worsening the the, the crisis that we have in in the different dimensions, uh, socially, health-wise, and environmentally. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have some really entrenched societal challenges that unfortunately if you're expecting to drive private equity type returns to solving them, I don't think we're there yet. (laughs) 
I think a lot more costs would need to be internalized or benefits priced in somehow in order to make that risk return without changing the parameters of what investment capital is seeking. So I think there is going to be a need for capital that is going to be more flexible and uh, be able to recognize that actually beyond just being paid back in IRRs, the main thing probably to, to, to ensure people understand is that impact investing is not a silver bullet. Unfortunately, these decisions are just too complex to have a silver bullet, just like right. government can be expected to solve it on their own. So I think likewise, private capital should not be seen as the savior for every problem in the world. And then these issues continue to require the, the kind of collaboration between government, private sector, philanthropy to continue to, to iterate and be creative about how the, the three facets can work together. Um, so a lot of these blended finance uh, approach, I think, needs to be um, explored further, scaled up um, and kind of just just a lot more collaboration right across the board to, to solve these issues. Maggie, last time we spoke, I asked you why impact investing is something that emerging business leaders should be educated on. And at the time, you said, it's the future. I really believe that it's not just from an investment standpoint, but it's what the future of business needs to look like. The question to you now is, because of all that has happened in 2020, how has your view changed on this? Or has it? Hmm. I, I don't think it has. I think it probably underlines that, that belief even further. I think what I would be saying is, is the future of business is kind of the blurring of the lines that I was referring to, the three facets, if you think about it that way. And in a business school setting, I think the reason for why a place like Columbia or you know, a lot of the leading institutions is so interesting is because you are, by definition, mixing with people from very different backgrounds, right? Mm. So even within an MBA program, you have people coming from a diversity of background. And also during the time that you are at business school, you have the possibility to mix with folks from SIPA, you know, the School of International Public Affairs, with medical school. And I think what I am seeing the future of business is that it's, it's not like you're going to work in a silo anymore. It's that everything is, would just take a very multidisciplinary approach. Um, and I think that's what business, you know, needs to react to as well. So this is, you know, not, not, not only about what your business is, is doing from a missions perspective, but it's also down to diversity of your team. You don't want to just recruit from the same background anymore. You want to have a diversity of experiences at different levels of your organization. That blurring of, of backgrounds, I feel like, is, is going to be the theme in a way. Absolutely. Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much. That's our episode. Many thanks to Maggie Liu, class of 2005, for her time. Are you a CBS alum involved in impact investing? We'd love to hear from you about your experiences. You can email us at biscast at gsb.columbia.edu or find us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Columbia underscore biz. Subscribe to BizCast wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.